Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We are beginning chapter 12 this morning. Just two chapters left in our study of 2 Corinthians, chapters 12 and 13, as we continue to receive guidance from the Apostle and his defense of his ministry and of the gospel. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely sufficient. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 10. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. O Lord, our God, we ask that you would open your word to us, that by the power of your spirit, you would illuminate our minds, that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, that even as we study your word, Lord, we would know more of who you are and what duty you require of us. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. It is very tempting, especially today, to want more power, more ability. We want power to overcome our problems. We need power to fix our marriages and our families. We need power to change our country and our culture. We need power to face the challenges of an epidemic. We even want power for the church so that the church can be successful, so that its message can go out. 
so that our evangelism has power. And in thinking this way, we can begin to come to view Jesus as a resource for us, rather than we being his servants. But Paul shows us this morning that power and ability, true power and ability, come from humility before God and relying on Christ. God often makes us weak so that we will go to him. This morning, I'd like us to see three things from our text. First, Paul shows us the danger that there is in pride. Danger in pride. Second, he shows us deliverance by the mercy of God. And then thirdly, he tells us to delight in humility. The danger that comes in pride. Deliverance by mercy and delight in humility. Let's begin then by looking at Paul showing us the danger in pride. This text tells us something that we might not expect. It is that no one is immune to pride. When I start a sermon and begin to tell you about the sin of pride and we need to be careful of the sin of pride, there are some who will think, well, this is good. I can sit back while the pastor's preaching. I have a lot of sins, but pride isn't one of them. I don't, I'm not constantly talking about myself. I think I'm pretty well secure from pride. And what Paul shows us here is that even someone like himself is capable of being defeated by pride. Paul, after all, would seem to be the least likely person in the world to fall to pride. After all, he has had God act directly in his life. He has been saved from failure, often by God. And so if we were to ask, who has the strongest relationship with Jesus? I think our answer might be Paul. And so we would not see Paul as being one liable to pride. And yet, Paul twice emphasizes the real possibility, probability even, of his being taken in by pride. We see this in verse 7. Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Do you see this? Twice he says, to keep me from being conceited. He doesn't just tell us once, he repeats himself. He wants to make sure that we have heard it. And so we need to understand that Paul himself saw that he was vulnerable to pride and that none of us is immune to this. And this is good for us because our tendency each and every day is to think that we are immune from certain faults because we can't imagine ourselves falling. We think we are only liable to the sins that we can immediately see in our lives, but that's not the truth. Paul himself told the Corinthians in his first letter, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So any of us are liable 
to pride. This is the opening that Satan is looking for. We, I think, imagine that Satan will come at us with attacks when we are mired in sin, when we are sinning over and over again, when we are ignoring God's word, when we are falling by the wayside. But the truth is, that's not when Satan attacks. He doesn't need to attack us then. Satan attacks us when we think we are somehow above or beyond a certain sin. When we are so confident in ourselves that we have put aside all of those cares. That's when Satan uses our pride against ourselves. And one of the most difficult things about pride is that pride can even result from the blessing of God. This is what Paul tells us in this passage. Passage. The reason that Paul might fall victim to pride is not because he has a besetting sin. It's not because he has an unmortified lust. No, it's because he has received the blessing of God. He tells us this at the beginning of the chapter, that he had visions and revelations. He says, I will go on to speak of these visions and revelations. A man in Christ, that's Paul, by the way, he's Speaking of himself in the third person, he was 14 years ago caught up into the third heaven. I don't know whether in the body or out of the body, but he was caught up and taken to paradise. And he heard things too wondrous even to speak of. He, he was blessed beyond anything we can imagine. It's an extraordinary experience. And Paul only reluctantly makes the point. He only makes the point because he is battling opponents who are puffing up their own revelations from God and saying that Paul is a liar and a worthless minister. And so he says, even though there's nothing to be gained by it, I'm not going to try to make myself seem better. I have to speak about this. But it really is a singular event if you think about it. Peter doesn't talk about being taken up into the third heaven. James doesn't say he went to paradise. No, it's Paul, unique among all the servants of God, who testifies to this. And I also think it's very interesting that this is the only place in the scriptures where Paul mentions this. We, we know it is not the other occasions which Paul had where he received visions of the risen Christ or of God speaking to him to tell him to go into Greece because Paul pinpoints it for us 14 years ago. And there really was nothing significant going on in Paul's ministry 14 years before he was here writing this letter to the Corinthians. So Paul wants us to learn... That even blessings from God, if they are misused, can lead to pride. And often we try to gauge our life in Christ by counting the objective blessings that we have received. Rather than examining our relationship with Christ. We look and we say, how big is my church? How well do I know my Bible? How Numerous is my family. How well behaved are my children? And we try to find objective measures to be the standard for our relationship with Jesus. But what Paul is saying here is that can give us a false sense of ease because we can be blessed by God. But if we don't respond to that blessing properly, 
we're susceptible to pride. There is a great danger in success. When God blesses us, and when we have a tangible evidence of that blessing, we can shift some of the glory to ourselves. The other thing about pride is that it makes us think of ourselves before we think of God. Now, Paul initially fails to see the mercy of God in this thorn in the flesh. Paul says, so that I might not become conceited, God gave me this thorn in the flesh. And you might imagine if Paul understood this, and, and Paul knows more Bible and more about God than any of us do, that Paul would have said, thank you, God, for giving me this thorn in the flesh. I don't want to be conceited. I don't want to be proud. That Paul would have had the right reaction. But that's not what he tells us. Look at verse 8. He says, not once, not twice, but three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now, this thorn in the flesh is sent to keep Paul from being conceited. And yet, Paul prays that it would be taken away from him. Initially, Paul does not make the connection between his pride and God's blessing and God's remedy for his pride. This surpassing greatness of revelations that Paul speaks about reminds us just how blessed Paul was. One of the hardest things in the Christian life is to try to cultivate God's perspective. That is, to have the mind of Christ rather than our perspective on life. And this is especially hard when we face difficulties or suffering. Now, we shouldn't be stoics, enduring pain by making ourselves numb, but we should be Christians, knowing that God speaks to us in pain as well as in pleasure, in sufferings as well as in victory. The second thing that we see from our passage this morning is that God recognizes and knows the danger that pride presents to us, and so he delivers by his mercy. God knows our weakness. The psalmist puts it this way. He knows our frame, that we are but dust. We are susceptible to pride, and pride can cause us to disobey God and to think too much of ourselves. There is a wonderful example of this that is found in the Old Testament. If you would turn with me to the book of 2 Chronicles, the 26th chapter, we can look at the story of Uzziah. If you need to find 2 Chronicles, if you go to the Psalms and you turn to the left, you'll find them. Or if you're in the historical books, turn to the right. It's the last historical book uh, of a setting. And chapter 26 relates to us the story of Uzziah. And Uzziah became king when he was 16 years old, and he reigned for 52 years. And Uzziah was blessed. God blessed him in his reign. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to his, what his father had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah the prophet. And Zechariah instructed him in the fear of God. He went out and made war against the Philistines and was successful. He defeated the other enemies of the Israelites. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah. And Uzziah built towers and he fortified them. 
He built up an army over 300,000 strong, the chronicler tells us. He had skillful men who built up buildings. And this was a renaissance in the kingdom of Judah. Up until this point, Judah had been in decline. And so it's not just that things went well under Uzziah. They went unreasonably well. He was blessed by God. But then we come to verse 16. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And so what happened to Uzziah was everything was so good, he assumed he was blessed by God and whatever he did, God would bless. And so he disobeyed God's word. God had told the kings in his word that they were not to offer incense. That was the job of the priests. And that's actually what the priests come up to Uzziah and tell him. They withstood him, the chronicler says, and said, this is not for you. This is for the priests. And Uzziah's response, instead of being tender under the word of God, was to grow angry, to push them out of the way, to say, let me have my way. And then... There is one of these incidents that we see in the Old Testament where Uzziah's inside shows on his outside. He breaks out in leprosy. His pride leads to disobedience. We have a similar sort of example in the New Testament in Peter's boast. You'll remember just before our Lord was led to Calvary, Peter boasted and said, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. How well did that work out for Peter? In but a few hours, he would betray our Lord. He was proud because the Lord had blessed him richly. What is your reaction when challenges come to you? Is your first reaction to go to the Lord in prayer? Or is it perhaps to think, or maybe even to say, I've got this. My experience is sufficient. I can handle what's before me. You see, God knows that he needs to save us from ourselves. And so God sends Paul a thorn in the flesh. And I think when we read that, we sometimes have the wrong picture in our mind. I often think that we think about this thorn in the flesh the way we might think of a splinter in our index finger. Have you ever had that? You get a splinter under the skin and you can't get it out. And you have to have someone else try to get tweezers and get it out. And it's like really annoying, right? But you can go about your life. It hurts and you don't want to touch it that way, but it doesn't stop you from doing anything. Or we might even say, no, no, pastor, I think when I think of a thorn, I think of a rose bush. And I don't want to grab a rose bush or a rose stem by the stem and get pierced by that thorn. That will cut me and it will hurt. Well, you're getting closer. This word for thorn actually means a stake. Like a spear. What Paul is saying is, is that if I can use a colloquialism, that God has thrust a spear into his flesh to prevent him from becoming conceited. This is significant. God, by his mercy, 
has sent a messenger of Satan, Paul says. Paul would never have asked for this. And so this is important for you and for me because we can look at this and if our mind is on the splinter, we can say, well, I can understand why Paul got this thorn in the flesh and he, it was good for him and he might have even wanted it, but, but Lord, I can't handle what you sent me. Think about what God sent Paul, a messenger of Satan. And there was a purpose in this thorn in the flesh. It's given to the end that Paul might be saved from himself, something that is much worse than a thorn. Destructive pride. The Proverbs tell us that pride goes before the fall. And God knows that left to itself, pride destroys us. And so he intervenes. This thorn in the flesh was intended to harass him, Paul says. Now, again, I think we can misunderstand what this word means and lighten its impact. I think when we think of harass, we think of how siblings harass each other. You know, you know that famous game between siblings where one of the siblings repeats whatever the other one has said, and you end up in about five straight minutes of stop repeating everything I say. Stop repeating everything I say. No, stop repeating everything I say. No, stop repeating everything I say. And you go back and forth. That's really annoying. But that's not what Paul means here. The word for harass is the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 26 for the soldiers striking Jesus in the face. It's to be stricken, to be beaten. Why is that? God does not intend us to be lost. But he wants us to know that we are lost without him. We must have the Lord or we are lost. The minute we think we are sufficient in ourselves, we are lost, wandering in the dark. And so the Lord tells Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. You're neither alone nor at a loss. Pride is the enemy of faith because pride at heart, even in the smallest of things, is an unwillingness to rest upon God. And so God is reminding Paul that Paul needs the Lord. I dare say that in your life, you have circumstances that remind you that you need the Lord. Maybe it's an illness or a doctor's report. Maybe it's financial difficulties. Maybe it's an especially hard relationship. Maybe it's trouble in your marriage. Maybe it's trouble at your job. But God is reminding you each and every day that you're not sufficient in yourself. But, but... My grace is sufficient for you. And so by his mercy, God not only keeps us humble, but he reveals to us the strength of humility. Now, it might have been sufficient for God to simply defeat and prevent Paul's pride. The thorn in the flesh appears sufficient for that. But the God of all grace does not stop there. He condescends to reveal himself and his merciful purposes to Paul. Do you see what God does here? He doesn't just resolve the situation. He pulls back the veil of providence and he shows Paul what he's doing. He lets Paul know that 
God is at work. And, and that's the turning point of this passage. Because the most merciful thing that can happen to a Christian is when God shows him a piece of the big picture. Now, we've had this experience before, haven't we? When, when we were children, we never understood why our parents cared what we did. Why did they ask so many questions? Why did they stay up when we were out until we came home? That makes no sense at all. And then we had children. And we began to see through our parents' eyes. That's what God's doing here. He's allowing Paul and by his grace you and me to see our lives through his eyes. Well, the third and final thing that we see this morning is that not only does Paul show us the danger in pride and God's deliverance by his mercy, Paul tells us that we delight in humility. Now, Paul's first reaction to his understanding of reliance upon Christ is joy. Do you see that he says this here? He says, not only will I boast, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, in verse 9. Notice a change in Paul's language. In verse 7, it's the thorn in my flesh. Now in verse 9, it is my weakness. Paul now owns it. He takes pleasure in being weak. And this is completely countercultural. This is how the Lord prepares us to follow Him. When we take joy and humility, we don't depend on our circumstances. Instead, we trust the Lord. Humility brings us joy. But secondly, humility brings us perspective. Paul's joy is not a foolish joy. It is not unthinking. No, it is grounded in a newfound perspective that he has. Look again with me at verse 9. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest in me. Now, you know it's coming, don't you? The therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? Go back one sentence. He will boast because my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul boasts because he knows that God's grace is sufficient. And he continues this on in verse 10. He says, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. He is boasting because Jesus is sufficient for him. Paul has the perspective of God here. God has opened this up before his eyes. He doesn't revel in affliction for affliction's sake. No, that is vain philosophy. But we must realize that Jesus loves us more than we love ourselves. He wants us to be strong. And what that means is we must rely on him. Paul rejoices because the purpose of weakness is that Christ's power may rest upon him. 
And so we avoid drawing attention to our infirmities for the sake of seeking sympathy from other people. Paul doesn't want that here. That's not his goal. He's not concerned about Paul. He's concerned about Christ. Humility also brings true power. Because humility, by taking the focus off of ourselves, allows us to see where the real power lies. It's in Christ. That's what Paul says explicitly in verse 9. The power is the power of Christ. And it's not just that the grace of God is sufficient. It's that Christ's power is made perfect. That is, it is accomplished in our weaknesses. It is abiding and permanent. The, the verb here is an action that has happened in the past that has present implications for us. Because of what Jesus has done, that he has perfected his power, today we can rest in him. And this is something that has to be a part of our life in Christ. This verb, that the power of Christ may rest upon me, is an interesting verb. It means to dwell, to take up lodging. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever moved into a new house? And when you move in for the first few days or week or maybe month, it's really difficult to get settled in because there's still boxes all over the place. And you don't know where the silverware is and you can't find that coat and there's things that you have to go searching for. But eventually, everything gets put in its place and you feel settled, right? Life is right. That's what Paul's describing here. That settled feeling. When we give up striving after our own power and circumstances and we trust the Lord, we are settled. If you are anxious here this morning, you don't need better circumstances. If you are anxious here this morning, you don't need a better skill set. You need to trust Jesus more and more. And if you're wondering... Is the pastor talking to me? The answer is yes. Because I'm talking to all of you, including me. We all need to rely on Jesus more. We all need to make much of Jesus. God's power is his own, and it is for his own ends. It's not something that we use. It's not something that we obtain for our desires. It is for Christ's sake. No one ever humbled himself like Jesus. Do you think that you are greater than the master? The goal of your life should not be to have power. It should not be to be successful. It should not even be to be happy. The goal of your life should be to be like Jesus. Now, we can be deceived as to how strong we are. Paul was once. He thought that he could handle anything. He had political contacts. He had the best education. He had a great family pedigree. And yet nothing in him could stand up to God. Paul actually tells us 
that all of those things were rubbish to him after he met God. Paul found out that true strength, true meaning in life comes from the Lord. Will you find that out today as Paul did on the road to Damascus? Or will you sit and wait until the day of judgment? The Bible tells us that those who wait will see their true weakness. That they would rather have mountains fall on them than face the power of God. Do not be deceived by your own pride. Humble yourself and seek God. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We must be very careful when we receive things from the hand of God, whether they are good things or bad things. This should not cause us to look to ourselves what power we have or what power we lack. No, it should cause us to be humble before God, to rely on Jesus Christ, and to find joy in that. Let's pray.